0: We're in Philippians 4 this morning. I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are all in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to you, God. Church, you may be seated. Um, well, good good morning, Um uh, we are glad that you're here at Redeemer this morning. Um, for those of you who don't, I don't know, my name is Brian Carroll. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, our other pastor, Ryan, um, him and his wife have are taking some time away to, to rest and recharge uh, for the fall. So do be praying for them. Uh, this is a sweet time I know with their family. It's been a a busy season, and so uh, we just uh, ask that you would pray for them. They they're they're in town. They're near, and so um, they're they're not ghosts, um, but um, they will just be taking a, a little, little, little time uh, away. Uh, also, um, re- really quick, and so I know we've uh, had the HEB cards in the back. Um, we have some not on location. Um, so if you are uh, in in need of one, um, please come come see me afterwards, and we will make sure that we can um, get those in your hands. And so. All right, church, um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and and turn to Philippians 4. Um, We're going to be hanging out mostly in Philippians uh, this morning, Um, but we are continuing our series, kind of walking through our vision statement. Um, And really, as Ryan has preached over the last two weeks, um, we aim to be a church, Redeemer Saint Angelo, that lives and learns the good news of Jesus together in Saint Angelo. That's our... Our mission Sorry, learning and living in the good news of Jesus. And so uh, today, so Ryan really hit on the last couple weeks um, that where we, when we think about learning and living the good, good news of Jesus, what can easily come to mind for each one of us is like, okay, what do I need to do? Uh, how do I need to behave? How do I need to act? How do I need to just... Uh, Be the best Christian I can be. And really, when we talk about learning and living, it's not that really at all, but really it's the posture of our hearts and seeing our own need and dependency for Jesus. Learning and living must start with abiding. If it does not start there, then it's contrived in some way, in some action that we're trying to do ourselves. And that's not going to end well. And so, so as we continue to flow from that reality, as we think about, posture of our hearts over performance. Um, The thing that we have to next consider is, of our vision statement, is that we are going to look at the the aspect of, then how does unity play into that? This idea of our vision statement being, we are a church together um, in St. Angelo. So really the next week, couple weeks, unity is going to be kind of a a driving theme, but but we're going to highlight it more today. And then we're going to talk next week about how does unity affect the multiplying mission aspect of our vision statement. But it's so important that, we, that on the front end, as we talk more about the, the, what does the abiding look like, what does the practice look like, we have to remind ourselves that it's not what we do. Our posture of our hearts, the pursuit of unity, the pursuit of learning and living must be a, from a place of abiding because Jesus is only the one who's able to help us. And so... But one of the things I think we think about unity, really we can look all throughout our world and we see glimpses of it. Um, I know for a lot of us, we are excited that college football is about to start. Um, isn't it a lot of fun to see those of you who are football fans, uh, it's really fun to see your team, especially when their offense is just clicking, you know, they just, they're just rolling on the other team. They're just going. There is an aspect of unity that we see when our team is, is performing well. They're scoring lots of touchdowns. If you're not a sports person, I think we see the same thing in, in music. I mean, who does not appreciate a band that sounds just as good live as they do on their albums? Right? We can all think of different bands that like, man, their albums are really good, but they are absolutely atrocious live. Maybe you've been to some of those concerts, um, but isn't it not cool to see when just like bands are just clicking and they're playing live? like, if you're in, in, in the Carroll household in any given evening, um, a lot of times what you're going to see on TV is just music video after music video of our favorite folk artists just playing live performances together because it's so beautiful how unified all the musicians are when they come together to make this, 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 this song that just sounds amazing. So, so we see glimpses of unity all around our world and our culture, and we want this to be the ultimate desire and hope for the church. Unity is what we want to aim for as we think about us collectively, as we think about us together this This gelling together and displaying the beauty of the gospel um, to a world that needs it. We show the world through our unity um, who Jesus is and where our hope really lands. and And, and here, here's the thing why that's a good thing, but it's a hard thing. because in this room, I don't know if there's a I don't count there's maybe a hundred of some of us in here. Um, we look around this room, and we, we see that out of all the hundreds of people here, there's probably a hundred different personalities. There's probably a hundred different likes and, and dislikes. There's lots of different demographics. There's a lot of uh, us in this room that think differently. There, there's also a lot of us in this room that have uh, different uh, uh, preferences and, and different things that we like or don't like, and and, and, and if we're really honest, there's, we know that we have also been the reason and cause of hurt for people maybe in this room or outside. Like we've Our own sin, our own brokenness, I'm speaking for myself here, can oftentimes be the reason why we don't have this unity. So the point is that unity is a hard thing to get because unity does not mean uniformity. Does that make sense? Unity does not mean that we all have to be the same. We all have the same likes. And that's a good thing because some of the things that y'all like, I really don't. Um, like country music. I'm sorry. I'm not there. Um, also butter on pancakes, not necessary. Um, fight me. So anyways, right. So, so unity does not mean uniformity. I just lost half of y'all. Um, sorry. It gives me a chance to drink some water. Uh, unity does not mean we have to all be the same. Um, we all have to, to think the same way. We all have to have the same likes and preferences. Preferences aren't a bad thing. Don't hear me say that. But, but what it does mean is that at the end of the day, what is our shared hope pointing to? What is our, our, the thing that we're unified in ultimately pointing to? And it? it should be Jesus. And so, it's, so Philippians is going to be completely honest that this is the goal of the church, but it's not something that just happens naturally. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes striving together. And that's really where we find ourselves in Philippians 4 this, this morning. And so when we get to Philippians 4, uh, and let me actually go ahead and read, read the verses again. By the way, Charlie, where are you at? Great job. Those names are not easy. So... Um, But Paul Paul says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so when we look at the, the whole letter of Philippians as a whole, uh, and some of y'all just did, we just did a class on it not too long ago, but we see that one of the big themes of the book of Philippians is this idea of unity, a, a unified church. Paul is writing this letter from prison, uh, from a Roman prison, and he's writing to a group of people who he just absolutely loves I mean, all throughout the, 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 the letter, you see language that he calls them, you're my joy, my crown, my beloved. He uses this language that is so intimate to these people. He just loves them. He adores them. And he longs for them to continue to grow in being a church that's unified together. And so, so he's, again, this, it's peppered all throughout the letter. You see in chapter one, verses 27 through 28, he says to them, only let your manner of life Sorry, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing what? Firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side with the faith of the gospel. He repeats the similar language in chapter two. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And this one mind that he really wants him to have is this mind of Christ. He says that later in chapter 2. And he, what he's encouraging them, when he says that we want you to be of one mind, of, of one spirit, of one love, he's really, what he's aiming at, with that, word, that word in the Greek literally just means the number one. So when he sees them, he wants to, all their affections, all their motivations, all their uh, uh, emotions, their feelings, their de- desires, their aversions, everything to be directed and guided by the gospel. Every single part of their life Um, regardless of how different they are from one another, every single other part of their life was meant to be guided and directed by the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is where he really wants them to be unified in. It's not their likes or dislikes, but rather in this very thing, of this finished work of of Christ. And so when we get to chapter four, he's using this language. He's talking to the specific incidents between these two women. We don't know the nature of the conflict. We don't know really what exactly happened, but what's actually really interesting is that some scholars even actually believe that Paul is weaving this argument through, of unity, through peppering it throughout the whole letter, really so he kind of, when he gets to this point, when he has to address a specific issue with these two women, that it's, it's not just like, hey, help these two women, but rather it's in a context of like, hey, a, a unified church is important because when it's when we uh, are making uh, the main thing, not the main thing, then the world will know. And, and, and when we, the world knows, they're going to get a false picture of Jesus. So it's really important that, we, that the unity of the body, this, our, this shared hope that we have in Christ, is the motivation as to, to this, handling this specific issue between these two women. And so, so, so some scholars even believe that, like, like This was one of the big points of Paul writing this letter was to, to address this situation, even though it's only two verses. And so again, well, that, that's more conjecture. But anyways, he knew that if this situation goes unaddressed, that it was going to cause issue with the church at large. It was going to cause a greater division among the church. And if it was left unaddressed, again, not only was it going to have a negative implication of from the church, but it was probably going to tell the world the opponents that he mentions in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 1 uh, a false view of who Jesus was. That Jesus really is not a reconciling God. This isn't a sermon on conflict resolution uh, or, or anything like that necessarily. But In this pursuit of a church that's unified in the gospel, it has to be part of the conversation. Because the Lord is not interested in cheap unity. The Lord is not interested in in faux peace, where we're just walking around one another and saying, how are you? I'm fine. Even though like internally, like I can't stand this person. He, he's just not interested in, in a pretending. He's not interested in us just saying we're always blessed when we feel like junk. And so, so this matters. This, this matters. And if we're honest, I think some of us might find ourselves even in this moment as well. read off a couple questions. Uh, how many of us feel might feel suspicious of other believers, maybe even in this room? How many of us are quick to make assumptions rather than, than to press in? How many of us have knowingly sinned against another believer and have failed to pursue reconciliation? How many of us are still holding on to unforgiveness? How many of us would rather just avoid a problem uh, than address it? Here's the thing: a lot of these things, because we live in a culture that we don't do disagreement well. Um, I mean, you can just scroll on Facebook for a few minutes, and you, we can see that. Um, but you think about these little things again. Again, I, I, I would venture guess anything with that red, all of us would have raised our hand. on one of those things. And I'm, I'm throwing my own hand up there. That multiplied by how many of you are in this room. How does that not affect a church? How does that not affect the unity of the body? This matters. And so, like Ryan said last week, the, 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 the temptation right now is to think, Okay, what do I need to do in order for me to not do the things I don't want to do? What do I need to do to to make it right? What do I need to do to to, to be unified? What do I need to do? And and, and it's really easy for us to begin with behavior. But again, we cannot begin there because the issue is not in the external, but the issue is rather in the internal. What is broken with us? What I need to repent of? Where am I having almost really misplaced hope that it's causing me and us to have, you know, just maybe some issues with other people. And so, so he, here's the question that I want to ask us and for us to think about. This is my intro, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you're like, really? We're going to be here forever. Um, sorry. Um, but here's what I think what the text is leading us to think about. Gospel unity is going to require us of some things. And I want to talk about two of them. And and Because really, this idea of the unity of the body, this is is not a thing that we can talk about in just 35 minutes and we're good. Um, But the hope for today is that we begin to think about some things that can really help us, put us on a path towards living, being a church that is unified. Again, next week we'll talk about the fruit of that more as we talk about mission and multiplication. But I want to talk more specifically what's going to set us on the trajectory towards it. And there's two things. Gospel unity is going to require us to to know our shared hope. Gospel unity is going to require us to know our shared hope collectively. And then it's also going to require us to let humility pave the way. So I want to talk about the first thing first. So you look back in verse 2, Paul uses this word entreat. Uh, I, I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche, and that word really is this strong exhortation. It's this urging, I am urging you, uh, I'm urging you, church, to help these two women agree in the Lord. And it's incredibly significant um, uh, that the that, that agree in the Lord is the object of their, his urging, because again, we don't know the nature of this conflict, but it, for whatever, how, whatever was happening, it would have been really easy for them to, to just like view the other through the lens of the disagreement. And so, so if that was going to be the litmus test, if that was going to be the thing that was going to try to bring them together, good luck, right? Uh, that, that like, again, See, he's, he's pleading on something much bigger than the conflict or argument that they were having. He's pleading on the Lord. He's like, uh, "Will help these two women agree in the Lord. And the word agree really means to have harmony. Help them have harmony in the Lord. Not, not, he's not necessarily saying, we don't know what's going on. He says, not, don't have harmony in, uh, necessarily in the thing that's being disagreed on, but rather help them have harmony in the Lord. And he's urging them. This This isn't just a oh afterthought. This is a plea. This is a big deal to Paul. And, and it was so important because again, um, whatever disagreement or, dis, or, or or disharmony that they had, he's trying to plead with them. And says that it is not bigger than the cross of Christ. It is not bigger than the shared hope that they that they these two women have because. You look in verse three, and, and man, what, what a resume that he, he and what like what compliments he gives these women. Uh, which, first off, as a side note, uh, that didn't happen much in the first century. Women were not seen as he literally calls them co laborers in the gospel. That, 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 to me, is such a high status for women that that doesn't happen in first century. But, but, but he, so he's saying to these women, these women have been co-laborers with me in the gospel. And, and, and he uses the word, they've strived side by side. That's a military term. He's saying like, we've been lockstep, locked arms in the advancing of the kingdom and helping people know the good news of Jesus. These two women, Yudia and Syntyche, have been a part of that effort with me. That's not Nothing. He's not just saying this as an afterthought. He is helping the church see the urgency of the matter that, that these two women, not only are they co-laborers, but he says that they are, their names are also written in the book of life. Again, there's a lot even there to unpack that. I mean, even that harkens back to Exodus chapter 32, um, when literally the Lord is about to uh, destroy Israel and Moses pleads for them. And so then then all throughout the Old Testament, you see this reference to the, the book of life. And then Jesus brings it up in, in Luke chapter 10 after the 72 return um, from them being sent out. And they were celebrating all that the Lord had done. And Jesus responds and says to them, uh, celebrate really because your names are written in the book of life. I know you, you're a part of my family. You're one of mine. So, so these two women were co-laborers, and they belonged to Jesus. And, and that was not, that was going to be much bigger than whatever the disagreement was. And so, so but really though, so so to know our shared hope, the, the, the hope that these two women had was in the work, finished work of Christ. And that's the same hope that all of us have who put their faith in Christ. More explicitly, what is it? Each one of us have, has a need for a savior. Each one of us, before Christ, regardless of our background, regardless if you know we grew up going to church, being the religious kid, or we grew up just um, licentious and just do whatever we wanted. Both were are separated. Both equally need a savior. Both equally are separated, from God, because of, their, of our sin. And we were created to be in the presence of God. We were created for a relationship with God. We are created for unity with him, but instead our sin separated us from him. And so what did God do? He did not leave us in that place, but rather he us his one son, who is God. Look at Colossians 1. Look at Hebrews 1. Jesus is God. He sent his only son who lived a life that we could not live, who died a death that we deserved, dealing with our sin and brokenness. And then he rose again, showing that sin and death has no match over him. And that whoever puts their faith and trust in him, meaning I cannot fix myself. I cannot earn salvation. I cannot be good enough. I can't behave well enough. I can't do all the right things perfect enough. But he did. Whoever puts their faith in him are no longer separated, but are unified and reconciled. This, for every believer in this room, this is our shared hope. Our stories might look, are are different. Our backgrounds are different. Um, how we got there is different, but make no mistake, the Jesus you believe is not different than the Jesus the person next to you. And so, this is the hope for everyone who has their faith in Christ. This is the thing that unifies us, this is what binds us together as the church. And I'm talking big C-church, not just Redeemer, though yes, Redeemer is a small uh, expression of it. If we make anything else the object of our unity, we are standing on sinking ground. We are literally, knowingly walking into a, a, a pit we are literally, knowingly walking off a cliff. It's that serious. And so disunity, it, it can be caused by a lot of different things. The disunity can be caused um, you know, when we wanna make our own preferences primary. It can be caused when we don't deal with our own sin, when we don't have a life of repentance, not just towards the Lord, but towards one another. It can happen uh, when we just make assumptions of people and we just think we know them or we generalize people from afar. Uh, There's a phrase uh, a friend of mine has shared. um, I think they got it from one of their old pastors, but he he says, uh, uh, distance breeds suspicion and proximity breeds empathy. When we're distanced from one another, we can be suspicious of one another. It can be caused by us taking different stances on, on hot-button cultural issues, um, by thinking, uh, voting for different people. Um, it can be caused by, honestly, just not addressing things that we feel like we need to address, ignoring, avoiding. Again, I can go on and on, what can cause disunity? But, but the reality is, we need to not uh, make our unity based on anything else other than the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Because that is where our hope is. Our hope is not in our preferences. Our hope is not in our stances. Our hope is not in, um, uh, it's definitely not in our sin. I I think that's an obvious one. I hope so. Our hope is in Christ. And so, so, so Paul's answer to this this conflict between these two women was not to ignore. It, it was not to just right, let's see how this pans out. Um, it was very much calling upon the church to step in and help, because he knew that it, th- this issue not addressed would cause division and disunity among this church, whom he just loves. And so, this is. And what I love about this is when we think about, again, unity is not this utopian-like, we're all just like kumbaya and just all happy family, like um, that we, it just should be this natural thing. Um, but rather, Paul, Paul makes it clear, even if you go back to uh, chapter 1, he says, I live a life worthy of the gospel. That way, the next time I see you, I hope to see that you are standing firm, side by side, striving for the faith. And the implication there is that um, if he's hoping to see it, then there's a chance that he could not. It's, this is not a osmosis thing. Unity isn't just this, like, this easy thing to attain. So I think it's, it's, I love this text because it's so human. Like it gives us permission to walk through it and figure it out. It gives us permission to to really evaluate ourselves and look inward and ask ourselves the hard questions. Man, where do I sense disunity? Where is there unrepentance? Where is there suspicion? Where is there fill in the blank? And we can trust the spirit to help us along the way that he's going to do the work of bringing us together. Because at the end of the day, it's not about our our own striving to pursue unity. It's about depends on the the Lord who helps us walk in the obedience. And so we have to, as a church, know our shared hope. We have to see that it's our hope, not just mine. And then we let humility pave the way. We let humility pave the way. Um, You look in verse three. And Paul says, I, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. So we don't know specifically if he's talking to a single person. Um, what's interesting is that Philippians is, is one of the few letters, uh, if you go back to the intro of chapter one, which, you know, those are the ones we kind of normally just like, oh yeah, okay, Paul's thankful, whatever. Um, but you actually see that he's written to the church of Philippi and the overseers. He's lumping in church leadership. Philippi, Philippi uh, had a, was a church that seemed to be established. It had some leadership. So, but that aside, we don't specifically know if he's just talking to the church in general, or like um, there's someone specifically who was intimately involved in this situation. That that if they had read that, he knows what they're talking. They know that they were talking to them. Regardless, the command that Paul gives to whomever it is he's giving it to is help these true help these women. And that word help isn't just a kind of nonchalant, hey, help them. It's actually a it, it, like the word literally means to to seize, to grab hold of. And so it the, the the connotation is isn't just like help these women, but hey, take hold of these women and really help them work this thing out. It, it's another level of 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 getting them to see what needed to be done or getting them to see that that this this issue needs to to be worked out. That and the issue that needed to be worked out wasn't them to agree on the preferential thing. The issue to be worked out was for them to have harmony in Christ, to, be, to agree in the Lord. And, and, and so, so, and what's interesting, you go back again to chapter one, verse 27, and he asked them to, the, he asked the Philippians at large, please let your life be worthy of the, of the gospel. Let your man life be worthy of the gospel which was something that was gonna to need to be applied to this situation. And, and if you do a cross-reference on that word worthy, it takes you to Ephesians 4, and you can turn there if you want. It should also be on the screen. Um, but first, Ephesians 4, one through three, he says, I therefore, a prisoner, Paul talking about it, this is Paul again talking about himself. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul knew that it was going to take humility. It was going to take humility on the part of both of these women, humility on the part of the church for this issue to be worked out, for this issue to to be resolved in helping these two men agree and have harmony in the Lord, to be unified. And the pathway to that was not browbeating, was not get your act together, was not shame, was not guilt, but rather humility. A worthy life of the gospel is a life of humility. And so so we've already established that working for unity in the gospel takes work, takes effort. Um, But we have to see that humility is a part of the process. Humility, and he also says gentleness. He also says bearing with one another in love, being eager, being eager to maintain unity of the Spirit's. We need humility for gospel unity. Meaning what? What is humility? What might humility look like? What might it look like for humility to pave the way in our own lives? Well, first off, let's look at the text. What might it look like for them? Again, we don't know the extent of this issue, but it's probably going to involve repentance. It's probably going to require um, humility to to recognize wrong, to recognize uh, their part in whatever the conflict was. It was going to take the church bearing with the, one another, bearing with them in love, helping these two women agree this wasn't going to be an instantaneous process, but it was going to be an ongoing thing. and It was, it was going to take an eagerness for unity. It was going to help see the value of unity, the preservation of unity as a worthwhile task. So, and, and the result of that being, we're going to help these women work it out. So, but, but for us, what, what does that mean, that we need humility for gospel unity? It means that we repent and we repent often. We repent to the Lord. It's, what's funny is we, we, we pause Mark, but you, we can't run away from Mark because um, the whole theme of Mark is repent and believe, and here we are talking about it again. Um, can't run away from it. Uh, it's like Scripture's all unified or something. I don't know. Um Y'all are getting used, loose cannon behind this morning, by the way. So you're welcome. But uh, oh, we we repent of the Lord to the Lord, and we repent often. And then we also repent to one another. We confess to one another, and it, it's not a flippant like trying to muster up. Uh, what am I sorry for? It's 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 it's, it's We we want to be careful. You don't want, you, we don't want to. We want to own what we need to own, but we also don't want to own what we don't need to. Because that's not that's not helpful either. But but we need to show humility um, as we confess and repent to the Lord. If we have offended a brother, if we have or a sister, if we have sinned against somebody, we need to repent and confess to them. That's a part of how we preserve unity. That's a part of how we strive for unity. Is we go to one another, or if if we if we want to uh, work out a situation where there's not, maybe not even necessarily that someone's sinned It's just awkward. We, we, we are gracious and we're patient with one another. We're going to give the benefit of the doubt. We're going to listen. We're going to be curious. We're not going to just try to have our own way and, be, and, and let our, and I'm, and I'm speaking for myself here. It is so stinking easy for pride to take over. For, I cannot even tell you even this week in my own marriage how often I've been self-defensive. Christy's single. what I mean. <laughs> That's a true confession. It is so easy for I think any one of us to let pride rule. And so we want to be gracious. We want to be humble. And we ultimately need to ask the Lord to help us in that. Because humility like this 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 humility this willingness to to repent this willingness to be gracious patient kind I mean really all of the fruits of the spirit is a work of the spirit it is not a work of Brian it is a work of the lord not a work of you and so when we talk about letting humility pave the way what we're really talking about is us continuing having a posture of abiding in dependence on the Lord to help produce these things in us because on our own, we just can't. We need him, which is so good because he is strong and and we just aren't. Why would we try to earn and try to produce something in ourselves and just tire ourselves when we have the one who's who's all-knowing, who's all-strong, who's all-good, who's all just everything at our disposal if we are in Christ. Because Hebrews says that if we are in Christ, we can go to him, we can approach the throne with, with confidence, knowing we'll receive grace and help in the time of need. Why would we go anywhere else, church? So we let humility pave the way. And so, so when we realize our dependency, humility will, should be a fruit. And gospel unity is not produced... Um, when we pretend that problems don't exist. When we avoid. Um, it's not produced when we just ignore. Um, but rather, it can, be rep- it can be produced when we're willing to have, um, enter into the harder spaces. To have the harder conversations. And we trust that in those conversations, that it is the finished work of Christ and the cross that brings us together ultimately. It's not the thing that we disagree on. It's not even the the sin we may have offended against one another. but it is the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we'll get on this more really next week, but the world does not need our activity as much as it needs our repentance and humility. The world does not need our activity as much as it needs our repentance and humility, humility before the Lord and one another. And this is what binds us together. The the reconciling work of Christ on the cross is what also reconciles us to one another. So let's strive to let that be the thing that brings us together. And so as we, band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, uh, So as we take communion this morning, what this really is a plea for, what this really is a call for us for to consider um, is that as a church, when we have a willingness to be humble and to rely on our shared hope, to rely on the finished work of Christ on the cross, um, we will not only show the outside world where our hope is, but we will more assuredly show one another where our hope is. That our hope is found in... Christ spilling his blood on the cross him breaking his body him dying him sacrificing him paying the penalty that we deserved when we enter into humility when we enter into dependency on him yes i think that will have ripple effects to the world but that also have ripple effects in here because that will bind us because it's Christ who we're relying on and not ourselves. And so as we partake in the Lord's table, the Lord's supper this, this morning, supper and morning, that's funny. Um, as we partake and you're reminded of the hope of Christ in your life, be reminded that that's the hope of the brother and sister that's up next to you. That's the hope of the brother and sister across the room. That's the hope of, the, of the, your brothers and sisters who aren't in this room, who are part of the Big C Church. And I'll ask this as well. Um, if you're finding yourself in this morning um, wrestling and dealing with any just unforgiveness or if there's a sin you need to confess and repent up to somebody else, let me encourage you um, instead of taking the meal, talk to your brother or sister. But know, my friends, that because of the finished work of Christ and the cross, um, we have a hope. Um, who's, we have a hope in Christ that is able to do far more we can think or ask. He's He is able to bring unity. He is able to help us. And I think when we take communion this morning, my hope is that the more we see how the gospel applies to each one of us, that that will be something that you also unifies us. Lord, would you please make it so.